Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Excited to be joined tonight. We're, Andy, baseball snuck up on us while we weren't looking. Um, yeah. It does that sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were, we were, yeah, we were like you know, plotting out guests. Stuff like that. I was like, Do you, you know, baseball, like spring training's going like like it's actually going now. Like this, <laughs> this thing started back up again. It's just it, it kind of like Brian said, snuck up. So we wanted to uh, bring on Jorge Castillo covers the Dodgers for the L.A. Times. And it's our first time actually meeting you. So thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, good to meet you guys. It's like the COVID way of meeting people nowadays, right? Just over some kind of Zoom or exactly. FaceTime or whatever. And so uh, Jorge's joining us from uh, Arizona where he's covering spring training. And like, but the good news is we have a, a lot of things. Like once we realized it was baseball season, we went ahead and made a list of stuff we wanted to talk about. And it's, so it's extensive. But like I, I'm the first thing. Really, I, I'm, really quick before we even get to the questions, I, I've got one off the top of my head just because you're joining us from Arizona. Like is that your hotel room or is that – Is that uh, a background? Is that a background? No, it's it's my hotel room. It's a um, sweet, nice. The, the greater Phoenix area. That is a nice thing yeah, room, it's a, man. It's, that, like, that, it's like brand new. I mean, this hotel wasn't here last year when we were here for spring training. So it's like brand new. So That's one of the I, great I was 100% sure that was a, uh, a background. No, no. This is not my virtual Zoom background. This is a reality. Yeah, a microwave back there. Look, yeah, nice it's wood just, wall. Yeah, we got a dishwasher. We got you know we got a, we got a little mini stove. The two. Wait, your room has a dishwasher? Yeah, it's like one of those suite type of deals. It's like one of those uh, extended stay hotels. Well, yeah, but but that's important. Spring training. Yeah. I mean, you're you're settling in for a little while. So, like, how long are you going to be there? Uh, I think a grand total of about four weeks. Oh, okay. Well. I mean, in in that sense, yes, you, you probably could use a dishwasher. You could you could use a few appliances if you're going to be yeah, there. Yeah, man, a they, month. they got knives and spoons and stuff. We're going to use all that. <laughs> Andy was uh, Andy was getting ready to send something. To Dear editor, Jorge is really abusing the. <laughs> did you know he's got a dishwasher in his room? I'm Actually, that. I forgot that this was a happy hour, so I had to go down to the lobby and get myself a oh, little. Excellent, drink. good job. Uh, yeah. Nicely done. Nice. Appreciate done. that. Um, but yeah, the, that was actually where I kind of wanted to start. Like, this is you guys didn't, you know, you, it was last year during spring training, right? That you guys got canceled. So, like, what's it like to be kind of back in it? Uh, it's like we're back in it, but not really. It's, it's like kind of, uh, it's strange. It's, it's limiting, um, for obvious reasons, right? Uh, last year was the entire year was kind of weird when the season started. We were, everything was virtual. We were like, a million feet away from from the players, the coaches, the managers, everybody. Um, for the playoffs at Globe Life Park, we were like the highest level up, um, and that's the only access we really had. So we're kind of used to it at this at this point, which is kind of sad. But um, yeah, man, like I, I I always remember last year when Rudy Gobert got 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 the virus, and I was sitting in the press box <laughs> at a Dodgers spring training game. I was like, oh, well, I wonder what this means. And that next morning, it was done. Um, but yeah, man. So basically, we have access to the press box at Camelback, like the, the stadium at Camelback Ranch, and then we're allowed to uh, to go along the perimeter of Field One, down the first baseline, all the way down. Um, we can see Field One, a little bit of Field Two. This ten pack of mounds they have in the back, and the six pack of mounds they have in the front. Um, and most of the stuff we're doing is virtual um, Zoom. So, like, uh, how, like, what? Are, so, uh, obviously, then you can't get super close to the the team. What are the rules even about just being near other media or like the way that you guys? Because I know, like, at Laker games, for example, at least in theory, it's pretty strict. Even like how much we're allowed to talk to each other. Yeah, it's not. There's really there aren't any rules when it comes to the media. We kind of just do whatever we want. Obviously, we're being <laughs> we're being careful when it comes to you know. Uh, being around each other, we got we're masked up and all that. But it, like in the press box, like, I have a few suggestions, or in terms yeah, of there, how, there are there, no there, rules at all. There, <laughs> there are no, there's no security. Uh, you know, at the press in the press box, he's telling us like where to sit and all that. It's kind of just a free for all. But hey, we're being responsible, so we're doing our part. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, just uh, you, certain states like you know, for example, Florida or Arizona, the two you guys got sent to in baseball. <laughs> Can be a little loose as it is, so we, you guys may have to police yourselves. So it's nice to know that you're you're doing it in a responsible way. Yeah, you know, just wearing our masks and all that. And I mean, shoot, next week our game start on Sunday, and fans will be in the stands. Um, the Dodgers play the A's. 
um, and fans will be in the stands and they'll be walking around us and, you know, it'll be sort of like normal, not really, but sort of like normal. It's really strange though, because I mean, you know, Brian and I have covered spring training before, um, you know, whether for the LA times when we cover the Dodgers, uh, like uh, 2005 to I think 2008 back in our day back in our day but also like doing some stuff for ESPN the magazine stuff like that spring training is the most like direct access fans will ever have to players Mm -hmm. I mean it's one of the things that's actually really cool about it is you you really have the opportunity not just to see these guys up close but to to really meet them you know to to have that ability to to speak with them it, it's got to be kind of weird to just start out a season with in, in this particular place with that being taken away just for the overall vibe of the thing. Yeah, it, it feels dead. I mean, they have a speaker going, a couple speakers going with this, you know, radio station. And I stopped listening to radio and you forget how like the same songs are, you know, you hear, you hear the same song maybe twice in an hour, four times in a couple hours. And that's just on a loop. And that's really all you hear. Um, and, you know, these guys, obviously, they talk their talk and. You know, there's some chatter going on, but it's pretty dead compared to most years. I'm um, compared to every other year. You know, when you have th- you know tons of fans coming out, hey, screaming Bellinger's name for an autograph, asking for this, that, and the other thing. So it's it, it's it's a, the vibe is very very different. Yeah, and and in terms of that, like I uh, one of the things I think is fascinating about this Dodgers team, and like you know some of the numbers, you know, we'll get into this a little bit. Like I saw you know t- today the the projections that you know ESPN. I think it's Bradford Doolittle runs the, you know, running the projections where like the win totals 107, just these absurd numbers that are coming up. And as good as they are, though, how how much does the weirdness of last year being the defending champion, but in a 60 game season with all the strangeness and um, the, how much does that do you think play into the way the Dodgers are approaching defending the title in terms of whether it's you know, proving it's legitimate or whatever it might be in what is at least in theory going to be a more normal 162 game season. I don't, I don't think it's about proving that it was legitimate. I think it's more about they didn't get a chance to celebrate how they, you know, would typically celebrate a World Series. And there was no parade. There was no champagne shower. You know, that night got really weird with with when Turner tested yeah. positive and then came back <laughs> out. Um, but, you know, once that happened, once he tested positive, like, they had, I think they had some kind of celebration schedule, like in a batting cage, like down underneath. Um, I think it was a batting cage, but that was canceled. That was scrapped. I, I know a few guys, I know some guys were drinking back in the hotel um, that they were staying at, but things were basically just kind of canceled. Um, and everyone just the next morning just kind of wondered about the, you know, Kershaw drove home, you know, this guy went home, some guys went back to LA, then went home and it, everyone kind of dispersed. And it wasn't like the whole, like, you know, every year you go on, you know, Fallon or whatever, you know, Kershaw and Bellinger would go on Fallon like together. They were doing it from like their cars on FaceTime, you know, like they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Um, and, you know, different guys have already said like, hey, I, I want to experience like a real celebration. I want to win it in front of, you know, fans at Dodger Stadium. I want to bring the trophy back under the parade and get drunk and do what Brady was doing a few weeks ago and, you know, just experience that. Well, Brian and I actually, when when this happened, when they won the World Series, we came up with, I think it was an awesome solution because you you can't do the parade where you just gather tons and tons of people together, or the teams on on a float going by. Like obviously you cannot do that in the age of, you know, in, in the COVID age. What we thought they should do though is open up Dodger Stadium, like the parking lot, and you basically do like a drive-through parade of fans with the players sort of in the middle and you're basically like driving around them it's like it's, it's like, like one of those like christmas parade yeah. spaces yeah like and and you do it from your car and at least like you get to have some type of celebration that you know the players are out there in the middle like it's they would be essentially doing the exact same you know celebrations and beer drinking and all that stuff they're just staying in one spot and you're circling them around them. like we thought that could have worked but nobody listens to us I think something like that probably would have happened if Turner didn't test positive that night. Um, I think once that happened, you know, you had to worry about other guys testing positive and, yeah. you know, things spreading. So once that happened, I think that kind of ended that kind of, the idea of maybe doing something like that. <laughs> and the kid from NYC says, is Jorge being held in a dungeon? Please blink twice quickly to let us know you're okay. Well, shout out to New York uh, chiming in on this LA discussion. But um, no, I, I tried the light in the background and all that. This was better. So. Yeah, I mean, I, think it looks, it looks I think it looks good. 
I mean, yeah, again, I I, I was concerned. I one hundred percent thought it was a Zoom background. Like that's how <laughs> how nice it is. And well, I mean, like for people who don't know, you are from back east. Like you know, you're not a, a, a native LA guy. You you know, you covered the the Nationals for a long time as well. So how how's uh, how's the adjustment been for you? It takes what one February before you become a big pansy. Yeah, I got soft so quick. That's so true. I'm from Massachusetts, Worcester. Um, grew up, in, I grew up in Mass. Uh, and yeah, I got soft quick, man. Like the anything under sixty at this point, I get cold. And you know, growing up back home, and my friends are texting me and saying it's like thirty-two, and I'm like, uh, it's like sixty-eight here and sunny, and people here are out in like parkas. It's like embarrassing. But uh, but hey, man, like yeah, if the weather out here, you can't beat it. So. Oh no, we we grew up in we grew up in St. Louis, and you know it's not as cold in the winter as Massachusetts, but it's legit cold. So you know we we have experienced cold. I look back at that now, and I'm like, man, we were living like savages. Like I don't know why Dude. anybody lives anywhere other than California, Arizona, <laughs> like Florida. You're telling me, my parents are from Puerto Rico, so they moved to Massachusetts um, a couple of years before I was born. So. Uh, yeah, they moved from Puerto Rico, tropical. All the siblings are still there. And I'm like, why didn't you guys move back? You know, just move back. <laughs> I, I don't I don't get it either. Um it's so, funny. did you were you you were did you grow up a, a Sox fan or no, Yankees I, fan? What was it? I, I grew up a Yankee fan. Yeah. It was like a, I'm just a tight cat. I'm just a very much a stereotypical Puerto Rican. I was a Yankees fan, grew up going to Yankee Stadium every year because I don't I have an aunt who still lives in East Harlem. So we would just go um and do that. What what is it about the Yankees with Puerto Rican culture that that it's you would the, gravitate towards? It's because Puerto Ricans, the first place they went to when uh, the Great Migration, forties, you know, from the early twentieth century through the fifties and sixties, was New York City. My parents were born in New York City, both in, but my parents were born four months apart from each other uh, in New York City. My dad was born in Brooklyn, my mom was born in Manhattan, and their families, not knowing each other, both moved back to Puerto Rico within a year. There was like a Great Migration and then immigration back. Um, so New York City sort of were. You know, Spanish Harlem is Puerto Rican, uh, the Bronx sections of Brooklyn. So it's very. So they give you a lot of lot of shit for that when you were a kid being a Yankee fan. I wasn't sure if I could swear on here. Cool. Right, oh, you can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hell yeah, the shit was bad. Thank man. you for like, uh, <laughs> 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 All right. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, '04 when they won it, it was like from then on, it was just you know, no mercy. Um, you know, I, I'll never forget Keith. Do you think Keith Paul closed that game? I don't know. Who, who was who closed that game against uh, the Cardinals? Whoever it was. Yeah, I, I always remember that. Uh, the dodge, uh, the dodge, oh, the Red Sox, when that was, yeah, that was our, you know, good for them, to, though. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I, I don't like either team <laughs> because I, we, we, Andy and I grew up in St. Louis, and so we're, we grew up Cardinals fans. Oh, and yeah. I, the Yankees actually sucked when, when we were younger. Like, you know, that was the you know, sort of 80s pre, you know, Jeter, you know, when they, <laughs> they, they really weren't <laughs> any good. Years. The dark yeah, years. so it was. They weren't a threat, but um, yeah, that's that's. I we mean, actually I, have. I go up. The first game I went to Yankee Stadium was '98. They won like 114 games that year. Yeah, Shane Spencer won like four for four, and yeah, I grew Band, up with the right time. Bandwagon fan, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, so like, but when, when so they look the you know the, with the Dodgers, like they go back, and you know, if you if you have to pick something, like you know. Betts is there, you know, Bellinger's coming back healthy in theory. And, you know, they went and they did the Bauer thing and all that. Like, where is there anywhere on this roster that, like, if you get in, you know, you ask them to find something, Andrew Freeman, whatever, where they'd be like, yeah, we're a little worried about this. Uh, we're a little worried about that. Um, worried might be strong, but the back end of the bullpen, I think, is the biggest question going into the season. Um, you know, who's closing games, who's pitching the eighth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning. Um, and granted, to be honest, and they'll tell you this, it doesn't matter who closes games until October. This team's confident they'll get to October. And we saw last October, you know, Kenley Jansen closed some. And then when they weren't very confident in him, they went to Julio Diaz. They went to Blake Trinan, um, Bruce Dargraderall. Um, they have other guys that can kind of step in. Um, but that is like, I mean, that's like nitpicking. This team's, as you said, some dudes out here projecting like computers got like 110 wins, 105 wins, whatever. It's nitpicking. Um you know, and Kenley Jansen still it was still good last year. It's not like he was terrible, um, but you know, when you're, it's all relative. When you're talking about the Dodgers this year, that's I guess the biggest quote unquote concern. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because Dave Roberts recently uh, reiterated the idea that Kenley Jansen is their closer. But, you know, it's one thing to say that in February. It's another thing to maintain that over 162 games. And, you know, this stuff is always fluid. And in particular, Jansen, he's in the last year of his contract, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, there there is only so much they need to worry about offending him if things aren't going well or alienating him in some in some type of way. It's it's just interesting because he this question of him as the closer, you know, despite the fact that he's one of the I, I would think at least one of the greatest closers in franchise history, a certain recent franchise history, just in longevity oh, alone. I have a soft spot for Takashi Saito, but that's just me. I, we both love Saito. Saito was awesome. He gave he me great. a pair of those socks that the, the the a lot of the Japanese players like that have the toes. You know, like the actual sewn out places for your toes to yeah, go yeah, into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like I, a thing now. Those yeah. are the thing now. I've seen them a lot lately. But at the time, they weren't. And he saw right. me looking at them one day, and then you know he gave me a pair the next time I was in the clubhouse. And I still have them. <laughs> My my Takashi Saito toe socks. <laughs> anyway, that's he was neither also, here nor there. <laughs> well, he was also great too because his, his his closing song was "Bad to the Bone," and it was so not his personality to be coming out to that. Well, it's, probably, it's probably why he did it, right? So, oh yeah, it was great. It was but like like you know, Jansen, you know, he he's that that persona of him is that closer with the organization is really well established. But it's also funny because, like, the last three or four years, the confidence that, Lee, if nothing else, that you f- you feel from fans towards Jansen has been all over the place. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, Dave Roberts says what he said, Andy Friedman has said it too. Um, you don't have to make a decision right now. You, you don't yeah. have to say he's not the closer. And you might not, not have to say that till October, um, the way they did it last year. And they never said it in October. <laughs> they said they had – that Kenley was the closer and they would go by matchups and whoever was feeling right that night. And, you know, we saw game seven of the NLCS and game six of the world series. It was Julio Diaz who closed the game. Um, Cause he was locked in. It's one of those things that like the Dodgers aren't, aren't going to go out there and say something they don't need to say. They're very measured in how they approach all this stuff. And you don't have to make a decision now. Shoot. Like Kenley can blow 10 games and they still might win hundred games. Like, you know, it doesn't quite frankly matter too much. The way we're seeing it right now on paper, on computers, whatever, you know. What so like what's the what do you think is the, the gap then between them and San Diego, for example? Because like, obviously the Dodgers are the prohibitive favorite in the National League. It's just a question of who else is you know good enough to challenge them if something weird happens. And like so people the first place people look is the Padres. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the Padres, how how close do you think they are to the Dodgers? I think they're pretty good. I mean, they're the second best record in the league last year. Um granted they had Clevenger and, and Lament. Um, Lamette's kind of a health question this year. Clemmer is not going to pitch, um, but they replace you know Clemmer with. I mean, they got Musgrove, they got Snell, and they got Darvish. Um, you know, three um, very good to great pitchers. Um, we saw what Snell can do in the World Series before they decided to pull the plug. Um, guy won a Cy Young. Um, Darvish, you know, obviously his time in LA might talk to fans and might not be too excited to, to talk about, you know, look back on Darvish, but, you know, he's been a very good pitcher, especially the last year and a half. Um, last season, he was great for the Cubs. Um, they're good, man. Like they got Machado, they got Tatis, they got this Cronenworth kid who they traded for before last year, who's really good. They got, they got guys. Um, and they're probably the biggest challenge to the Dodgers in the National League. But I think the Mets are be um, pretty good this year, uh, much improved. Lindor, obviously, and Carrasco, and they got, Couple other guys, Alonzo, uh, Conforto, DeGrom, who might be, you could say, is the best pitcher in baseball. Um, and then I think the Braves, obviously, are going, you know, another very good team. I think the Nationals will bounce back a little bit next uh, next year as well. So it, there's some, there are some challenges out there for the Dodgers uh, in the National League. Um, but I do think I do think things have to get a little weird. Uh, I do think maybe injuries, whatever, and things can happen, man. This like how eight, weird? Eight months away. Like uh, like on a, on a one to ten, so like talking like, like Hunter S. Thompson on right. acid weird, like like <laughs> like like, oct- like, a, like, like an octopus or like a Godzilla <laughs> type thing, or you know, I I don't think the margin for error is like is huge, but you know it, there there is some margin for error, like you know getting Trevor Bauer exp- like, kind of like expanded that margin for error right there. We got him won a Cy Young last year and eighteen was great too for the Indians, so. um 
Yeah, it, the Padres are good, man. If they like, if the Dodgers went around, the Padres would be like the prohibited like favorites to win the World Series. And you know, everyone's still talking about them because Tatis, the deal, personality, the swagger that team has. But you know, I think the Dodgers are. You know, things have to get pretty weird. Basically. All right, you just mentioned uh, Trevor Bauer, um, and we are going to definitely talk about him at some point during the show. So now's as good a time as any. Like the, there's two questions uh, with him in terms of what he means for this team moving forward, like what what it means to have him on the team. One is obviously on the field. The other is culture. Um, we'll get to that part in a second. But that question of how good Bauer actually is, I think is really interesting just because he's had two seasons that were fantastic, one of which, though, was a shortened, weird season. Not he only pitched against the worst teams in baseball. Right. And I mean, you know, he he pitched great, but it was a very specific set of circumstances. The rest of his career, he's been kind of ordinary. And and you know, they they just brought him in for just a shit ton of money. Like, how good do you actually think he is? So and how good does he have to be? Well, I think he has to be pretty good. Um, you know, he, they're paying him a lot of money. He's the highest paid player in baseball this year, and if he Opts in for next year. He's the highest paid player in baseball next year. Um, I'll, I'll answer it like this. I think I think we can all agree here that the Dodgers have made they're they're a pretty intelligent front office. They know what they're doing. They you know they make moves. I remember a couple of years ago when they traded Puig. Everyone's like, "What the hell? You guys traded Puig? Man, they got uh, Josiah Gray is about to come up. They yeah. turned Jeter Downs. He was part of the package for Mookie Betts. Um, the unloaded money. Uh, you know, it's they know what they're doing." Um, so with that in mind, you know, them giving Trevor Bauer that money, I think they think that this guy's for real and they can tap more into that because they're very much at the cutting edge of the analytics stuff, the data stuff, all this stuff that everyone keeps talking about and kind of rolls their eyes at there. You know, that's what they use and that's what they do probably better than anybody else. You know, the Rays are up there, the Yankees are up there, but they're, they're up there too. Um, and Bauer devours that stuff. He loves that's, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's my question. So this is like the perfect marriage. Um, and I think, you know, Andrew Friedman and his crew, they're like, you know, we can we can tap into this stuff. And for two years, because this is going to be a two-year deal most likely, you know, I he probably won't opt in for that third year. That's a risk that this team is willing to take. They have the money. Um, so, you know, I think uh, Bauer's spin rate was really high last year. It, it kind of shot up last year. If he, You know, if he can keep that going, if he can um, – and then – I just think he's a guy like the dog. If Andrew Freeman thinks he's going to be that, if he's going to give him that much money, if he's going to trust, he's going to take some fire because he, he's taking some heat for bringing him on, right? Because the whole culture stuff he touched on, um, I think it's because he thinks he can help this team win a World Series and, and be an ace. Um, so that that that's how I would answer. It. I think I think Andrew Freeman and his, his guys don't give this guy that much money if they, if they think he's going to, uh, you know, shit the bed. You know? How how worried are I, they? I certainly about like that? to think not. <laughs> yeah, so I, that, that's how I think. Of it. I think of it as, these guys are very confident that they can tap into this guy's what he did last year. They saw what he did last year. They looked at all the numbers. They watched the video. Yeah, he played against the two worst divisions of baseball, but he also shoved against the Braves in the playoffs. Um, and, and they look at that and think this is a guy that and he's durable, and they like that. How worried are they about the other stuff? You know, the the, the controversies around him. You know, the, the guy. You know, for lack of a better term, many people think is just kind of an asshole. I mean, depending on you know, but I mean, in his clubhouses, I guess he's he. You know, his teammates, I guess, like him. But how much concern is there because you know Dodgers culture is a big deal and team chemistry is a big deal, particularly in a COVID year where everybody really does have to be responsible for each other and you know you're going to spend more time maybe around teammates than you otherwise would because you can't go anywhere or whatever it might be yeah i think they think that their culture you know guys the veterans that they do have the kershaws the turners the bets uh they can absorb a guy like bauer what like to be honest i've never spoken to trevor bauer in my life personally so it's hard for me to like sit here and like gauge a guy's character we see right. what he's done online um you know and a lot a lot of it is you know unacceptable um in any workplace um, I think anybody can tell you that. Uh, I think the Dodgers see that and, you know, they hope that he can kind of, you know, learn the way he said he's learned and move past that. And um, and I think when it comes to the clubhouse stuff, they think that they can absorb it and he can he won't be too much of a problem. Um, they think their culture is that strong. Again, that's part of the calculus, right? You know, as much as it is about a spin rate and, you know, his velocity and durability, it's about, you know, is he going to come in and fuck things up? We just won a World Series with a good group. That, you know, they think it's a good group, right? They think it's a, 
you know, good clubhouse, um, good vibes. Um, they don't want a guy to come in and screw it up. And I think that's part of the calculus. They do their homework. And um, again, it's a huge investment to, you know, kind of just pick some, <laughs> pick up, you know, pick somebody up who's going to come in and ruin everything. Um, and when you just, when you're a favorite to win a World Series, even before they signed him. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because he's obviously, you know, as you said, the Dodgers, they are very meticulous when they make these type of decisions and they do a ton of homework. And, you know, this is not the type of, this is not the type of signing that they had to make because they're so deep anyway. So it would speak to the type of confidence that they would presumably have in bringing in Bauer. The flip side though, I mean, it's just, He's an unusual guy just in the sense that he doesn't feel like a typical Andrew Freeman type contract. Like it, like in terms oh, of I, I would I would disagree. Mm-hmm. He so is he was free to he is this is great for Andrew Freeman. This is a short this is what they wanted okay, to get Bryce. In that Harper. sense, yes. Yes. This, okay. this is what they you know, if Bryce Harper was coming to LA, it was gonna be on this kind of deal, you know, three, okay. four year yeah, deal. You know what? Uh, I, I take it back. You're correct. Yeah, yeah you so like correct. short term, you know, you take a rent, you pay a guy a shit ton of money. And it's a short-term thing, and if it works out, he helps us win a World I Series. Keep, I keep forgetting that third year basically doesn't count. Yeah, and then yeah, after that, that, money comes off the books on to the next. We, what's interesting though about him, though, too, I think is you know we're talking about the the online persona of Trevor Bauer, and I, to be perfectly honest, I don't think it was a great sign that you know on I think it was February 11th he does his press conference talking about that he's learned a lot and has tried to grow, trying to do the right things. February 12th, he's complaining about an article that Molly Knight wrote for The Athletic and seemingly singling her out as the only person that was criticizing Trevor Bauer at all. And, you know, full disclosure, Molly's a f- of ours and I think very highly of her, but does seem a little uh, interesting that he happened to zone in on seemingly the one woman uh, after his history. And he's got like that very barstool type, you know, online persona, you know, very, anybody says anything about me, I'm going to hit him back a hundred times hard, like that type of mentality. But the flip side is he's really into analytics. Like he's really into like the deep nerdy data. Like he's very granular that way. Like it, it seems like his approach to the game is very different than like his approach to Twitter. He is, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he's like the, I mean, I don't know all the pitchers in baseball, but he comes across as the one that's most into that stuff. Um, he's very vocal about it. He's been about about that stuff for a few years now. He's been one of the, he was one of the first guys who was really into it. He's been into it for a long time. You can go back to I guess his college days. Yeah. Really into it. So, and you know, I think he, he he said it himself. He thinks that he that allows him to kind of tap into, you know, I mean, he's not the most athletic guy, but that allows him to tap into you know his body and kind of just get everything he can out of it. Um, and again, I think that the Dodgers are really into that stuff see that's like again a perfect marriage the partnership that they want bowers used the word partnership a million times when talking about the dodgers um them working together they think they can and, you know make you know, and, and if he wants to if he chooses that he wants to opt out after a year or two years and get that big you know the next big deal he can't be a dick like you know that's that that's part of it like you know every it works for well, everyone, I will say this: term. I will. There, there's a you know, you, you can't be a dick if you if you're really good. That's true. You know, if you got you know, you have one point nine eight ERA, you can pretty much, I guess. Yeah, you can be yeah, as long as I mean, he, he has you know, he hasn't committed a crime. He hasn't, you know, being a dick yeah. is subjective, I guess, to a certain extent. Um, and you know, if you're really good, you know, there's a certain there's always a level of how much you're willing to, to take on. That's true. I can't be an asshole. Other people can. I can't either. <laughs> people who are better be, at what they I gotta do. be a super nice guy every day. Yeah. Uh, good question from Suzanne two five two five on the chat. Uh, how does the Bauer money affect re-signing Seeger? You could ask the same question about Kershaw. You could. I mean, all, they got a couple guys who are coming up next year. Yeah, they got money coming off the books. I think just between. I mean, if you count Seegers, Kershaw. Jansen, Joe Kelly was an option. Probably the Dodgers probably won't pick up. I think it's like something like 70, 75 million. Um, so I, they have money coming off the books and they have money. Um, so I don't think this directly t- like affects whether they're going to sign, uh, resign Seager or not. Uh, it, they have the money to do so. How much do, this, because this is, it's such a weird time economically for baseball. And this year, even if fans. Yeah, I will say this. Uh, yeah. 
we're, we're sitting here talking about, you know, re-signing Seager. We don't even know what CBA is going to look like next year, this luxury tax. This is going to be December 1st. This might be a, a shit show. Like, we yeah. might not even, there might be, there's going to be some strife. There's going to be negotiate. Like, we've seen them negotiate the, the union in the league last year. So we don't even know what's going to look like, whether free agency is even going to happen. How we sort of always envision it, so. right? And that—that's kind of what I was getting. At. Like you know, the the finances of baseball are so strange right now. You know, Seager is a Boris guy, correct? And mm-hmm. like those, you know, famous for going out and testing the market and squeezing every nickel out of it that you really can. Is it even possible to estimate how much somebody like Seager, let's say, he replicates what he did, you know, in the playoffs and what he did last year over the course of a season, what he even might get given the sort of dampened finances of baseball. Yeah, it's a hard, game. It's a hard game to play yeah. anyway. It's tough to say, you know, like we saw what Tatis signed for, you know, the 14-year deal. And, um, you know, Bauer signed what he signed for, but that was a short-term deal. I imagine someone, I mean, I'm just going to speculate here uh, that a, that a Seager would want a long-term deal. Um, all those guys. And the other part of this is this short, he's not the only shortstop coming, you know, who's going to be a free agent next year. It's going to be oh, Lindor right. right now. It's, it's Carlos Correa. It's uh, Javi Baez, it's Trevor Story, it's Marcus <laughs> Simeon, it's Angel Angelton Simmons. It's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of dudes out there. About it's just, oh my God, it just dawned on me when, when we we're talking about uh, Tatis's deal, that 14-year, 300-something million dollars. My daughter is in fourth grade. When that contract is over, she will be like a couple years out of college. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a long <laughs> Like, oh my God. Long. I mean, climate change, if you believe in climate change, San Diego might be underwater by the way. Well, I mean, so maybe that's, that, they're is, out. <laughs> they're just, that's why they're not worried. Is that good or bad for the Dodgers that there is 29 you know, marquee shortstops that are going to be on the market next year? Uh, I would say it's good. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, a lot of a lot of supply. You got to wonder about the demand. Um, and the Dodgers have a lot of money. The Dodgers have more money than most. And... It's good in that, you know, if Seager does decide to go elsewhere because he wants to or because, you know, he can't figure it, you know, financially they can't figure it out, the Dodgers have fallback options, um, you know, it's, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, it's just just the money is – it's something like that because, like, uh, we, we had a question from uh, Squire Sultan, like, what kind of money is Bellinger get Dude. when that day comes? Yeah, it's so hard to, like – to predict like three years from now, like again, like I don't even, we, we don't know if there's going to be a salary cap, you know, we don't know if there's going to be a salary floor, we don't know, you know, how this luxury tax thing is going to change, revenue sharing is going to change, like it's really hard to gauge. And I think, you know, Tati signing his deal right now is, you know, perhaps with that in mind, you know, what maybe the Padres or maybe his side, are like, yeah, like we really know what's going to happen, um, you know, next year. So let's just do this now. I wonder if that's going to be the case with Lindor or Correa, who have talked about maybe signing extensions with their teams. Um, it's it's going to be it's murky, man. Like there might not be baseball in time next. Actually, I would bet some money that there will not be baseball in time next year. We I will not be sitting here at spring training next February. I think it's gonna it's gonna get ugly. We saw the Kevin Mather stuff the other day that was ammo for the union, and it's gonna get really ugly. Yeah, I mean, you, you better use the hell out of that dishwasher. <laughs> there's I'll a lot about yeah that conversation we want to get into for sure uh this is another good question though uh the kid from uh, nyc you currently follow, i'm not even sure you knew this you follow 999 people on twitter who, yeah that means i need to be the thousands that means i need to unfollow some people because I'm, I'm trying to stay under four digits but i'll i'll unfollow some people and then i'll follow the kid from nyc um i if Did you're the kid following from NYC, the kid I don't from know NYC if he was... is up at two thirty in the morning. What's he doing? <laughs> yeah, or it's one thirty in the morning. I don't um, know if he was fishing so much as he was like just trying to figure out who would be the other one. But you're actually you're not into you're you you want to dial that back is basically what you're saying. Yeah, but I'll dial that back. Too many. Okay. If I could throw out suggestions, I would start with Dan Wojcicki. If you're looking for people to unfollow, yeah, I'd I go saw... with Dan. Yeah, that's actually a good call. I saw you tweeted guys. Uh, <laughs> someone Dan Woy 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 say is that how you say that name? I, I don't know. I'm not even going to try. Wolky, okay. whatever. Yeah. Um, this, I thought, this was the most, the strangest thing I think that happened in the offseason when they when the White Sox hired Tony LaRussa. I, I know that's not your beat. What was the deal with that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I did see the other day that Tim Anderson, the shortstop, apparently had a meeting with him and came out a bit pretty encouraged. Um, and 
backing uh, La Russa. It's funny because the White Sox are the team that shared a facility with the Dodgers. So um, I'm sure we'll see them quite a bit here in spring. I haven't counted how many games they're going to play against the White Sox. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That was a, that was an interesting it's hire. 26 years old. Um, yeah, that's old. So – you you mentioned the the Kevin Mather thing, and there are a few things actually that I want to get into about that. But the 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 interesting one was, you know, one of the interesting was the things that you alerted to with service time. How, first of all, I mean, how how common is it? You know, how how common is it that you know, in, in terms of teams just holding guys back, the Rays I think are pretty are pretty well known for it. Um, but how big of a deal is it that they kind of caught somebody saying the quiet part out loud? And then well, that's basically what it was. I mean, it, I'll, I'll put it this way. It's a big deal when a team doesn't do that, when it, when they don't <laughs> hold the guy back. You know, it was a big deal when they did it, the, the Tatis started on um, opening day, made the opening day roster for the Padres. It's a big deal when Pete Alonso made the Mets opening day roster. Like, I remember that because it was a big deal. You know, like Chris Bryant was held back. I mean, guys, you know, yeah, guys, oh, yeah. have been, guys have been held back. I mean, Chris Bryant filed the grievance loss, but it's an open secret. And, you know, Matt just happened to be the guy to say it out loud. Um, and it's one of those things where everything, you know, not everything that guy said, because, you know, he might have a V1 interpreter and language and stuff that maybe other guys don't. But when it comes to service, like that kind of stuff, the service time stuff, that is like how most of people, a lot of people in baseball front offices think it just makes sense. I mean, why wouldn't you think that way? You want a guy for next year. <laughs> like, you know, you want it for seven years instead of six. You know, I would want something that I would, if I want something, I want it for a longer time. It just, it just makes sense. He just said it all up. But, what does that what what damage does that do though? I mean, because uh, no, they, I, I mean, ultimately they're 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 not, they're following the rule that's there. Like what am you know, what what comes of saying something like that out loud? At Mariners camp must be awkward uh, right now. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. It's uh, players distrust. You know, obviously, you know, he talked about Kyle Seager, Corey Seager's brother. You know, saying that he's overpaid and. You know, he said he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. But a future well, you know, Mariners Hall of Fame. Exactly. Right? Like, he did say that. Glass half empty, glass half full. Depends on how you look at it. But, you know, if I'm a player on that team, I'm like, this guy's talking shit about us. And and he's, like, saying that it's not how the team thinks, but he's the president of the team. Come on. You know? And also, if I'm a free agent or something, I'm like, why would I want to go play there Yeah. if they don't clean house? Uh, so, I don't know. It, it has a lot of, you know, it has real effects. For what it's worth, if any future employee uh, employer ever refers to me as overpaid and I'm making that type of salary, I promise you will not hurt my feelings. Like if we want to put this to a test, you can pay me whatever you want and then talk all you want publicly about how much you regret that contract. I don't give a shit. Like really, like if, if there are any employers out there who want to be able to talk freely, hire me <laughs> and put me to this test. I promise I don't care. Yeah, I mean that was just one of the things the guy said. I mean the list is long. Yeah. Well, I, I mean the we're we're gonna get into some of the specifics, but like what really stood out to me with Mather, you know, again before we get into some of the even the other stuff is just the entitlement that is required to feel comfortable saying that on a Zoom call that you know can be recorded to a bunch of people who are outside the organization. Like the, the last, <laughs> like the Rotary Club. Like, yeah, you didn't even I mean, know the Rotary Clubs were still around. <laughs> you the the lack of common sense and the recklessness. Like, forget his mentality as a fireable offense. the 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 lack of judgment and the entitlement in and of itself is fireable. Like you, you clearly are too dumb for this job. If this is the stuff you're doing. I've never met the guy, but I assume it was very much a, hey, trying to impress people type of thing, you know, on a Zoom call. Like, he's never met these guys. You know, look at me. I got stories. Um, but, you know, that's just going to get on YouTube in two seconds. You know, you got to – everything's recorded nowadays on these Zooms and stuff. You got you to gotta have a little better uh, feel than that. I, I think it's exactly what – there are certain people, and yeah, you've certainly met them in, in this industry where it is very important for them to project, like, how much I know. Like, I, I am – privy to information. I, I am a, I am an important person. And the way they do that is by telling people and, and, and spilling secrets and, and saying things, but I just, it, it is, it, the, the entitlement is incredible. Uh, but the, the other, the other stuff that got a lot of attention is language. 
And you know, you are someone for people who don't know, you go to the LA Times and you look at the, you know, you know the sports page and you'll see articles from Jorge both in English and in Spanish. And you know, obviously able to communicate with players in Spanish, which is something that Andy and I always regretted being unable to do. What if, if a couple questions here. First is just what is lost? If I feel like much more emphasis is put now on trying to communicate with players in their native language, if that's what they're most comfortable with. But what is what has been sort of lost through you know the the years of just not being able to talk to you know giant chunks of a of a baseball clubhouse? Uh, probably a lot. I mean, <laughs> I. I Guys in the 80s, 90s, if we think of like Latino stars, I mean, shoot, uh, Vladimir Guerrero. Yeah. I mean, his son's in the big leagues now. I can't, I grew up like looking at that guy, well, that's a stud, right? Like he was an all star Hall of Famer. I don't remember one interview he did. I don't know if he ever did an interview. I don't know what he has to say, you know? Um, Sosa, obviously, he spoke some English and, you know, he got by with that stuff, but, um, it's not just language either. Like it's culture. Yeah. You know, it's stuff. It's about like, you can't just pick up Rosetta stone and go talk to a Dominican dude. Um, that's just, that's just not going to happen. You're not going to pick up on like how they talk and just like pick up on like, like where they're coming from and like, you know, why they say what they say and why they think how they think. And um, I'm not from Dominican. I got Dominican family and I grew up with a lot of Dominicans on these coasts, Massachusetts. We have a lot of them, you know, like Mexican culture is new to me. You know, I'm, I'm out, like, my fiance is Mexican. Um, I do everything in LA. The Latino culture is completely different, 108, like 100%. But I do think me talking to Julio Diaz, um, you know, I'm able to communicate with him and I'm able to pick up on things that maybe even if someone who knew Spanish just quite frankly, like wouldn't be able to necessarily, I just think it's cultural too. It's not just linguistic. It's not like linguistic. It's not, it's, it goes beyond that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I had a, you know, Puerto Rican players, you know, uh, Carlos, I covered Carlos Beltran when he was at the Yankees in 14. And I mean, we just hit it off just because, you know, my cousin was trying out for his fucking academy team uh, when I was covering the team. And, you know, like things like that. Like I, I know how a Puerto Rican sort of thinks and where they're coming from. And, you know, because I got family, you know, it's and that stuff matters. And, um, you know, you know, I wrote a, a Victor Gonzalez story last year about his upbringing. And the reason why I had that story was because I, I went into the Oklahoma City clubhouse in 2019 to write a Gavin Luck story. Um, I was tipped off that Victor Gonzalez might be the guy to help that team that year. So I just went up to him and he was this timid kid who knew no English and was sitting in the corner by himself. And we talked for a half hour. He told me everything that I asked. You know, he told me how. He's nervous. He can't believe he's here. His father was, you know, was stabbed and killed. And he told me that, you know, he left. He cried when he was coming off the mound in games. And then he he just quit the team and went to Mexico and, you know, all that stuff. And that, to me, you just don't get that if you don't speak the language, you know, if you don't make the guy feel comfortable. Um, so it's 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 a lot of its language. And I think a lot of its culture, too. And uh, I think people don't quite get that part either. Do you no, sense... Uh, I was real sorry, Andy, but do, do you sense that the uh, that the 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 onus is sort of switching? Like you know, the the criticism of Mather, you know, when when he talked about um, it was uh, Julio uh, Julio Rodriguez, correct? Or, yes. Yeah. And so, like, the, as like no, like it's he's not the one at fault. It's not the player who's at fault. It's the executive who's talking about him. I know when we were younger and Andy and I are, I think a little older than you, but like when we were younger, it was like, Oh, these guys are just kind of dumb guys. Don't have a lot to say. Like, do you feel at least there's an, like sort of an evolution in how people view the, so the, the Latino ball player who may not speak English when he gets to this country? Yeah. You know, I didn't cover ball back then, but you know, I grew up if you're Puerto Rican, you grow up, even if you never even saw him play, but Roberto Clemente is your know, a god, right? Like I have family who has his like portrait like on their walls, um, you know, at home. And my dad would always say he remembers when he died. He was seven years old. He remembers that day, all that stuff. And you know, Roberto Clemente, they called him Bob. 
They chastised him because he didn't speak English quite right, but he stood up for himself. He was like, basically, fuck you, <laughs> you know? And you you read, yeah, you know, I've read his biography and, um, you know, you, you read like how this guy was just trying to, he's just fighting like two, like he's worried about playing and then he comes off the field and he's like fighting another like fight in the, the clubhouse, like dealing with these sports writers who just kind of give him shit because he can't communicate, right? And they would transcribe and put, you know, publish the, his quotes, how he would say it all, you know, with his accent and all that. And, you know, that's sort of looking back on that now, it's like crazy. Um, but I, I know I wasn't around back then, so I can't, you know, it, it was a norm, I guess, right? But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, we've come a long way. That guy saying what he said, he said, he said some good things about Julio Rodriguez too. He said that, you know, he's a great personality. That That's what's funny about it is, I mean, in, in a vacuum, like, and, and I mean, really just in a very specific vacuum, isolating that that one section of it, I, I would be willing to give Kevin Mather the benefit of the doubt that what he was trying to say in an extraordinarily clumsy way was that despite having some degree of language barrier and, you know, the way he had described that his English, I believe the exact quote, isn't tremendous, that Rodriguez has the type of personality that players gravitate towards anyway. And he's the type of guy that everybody in the clubhouse loves being around, even if there is that difficulty with language. The problem, though, comes with, you know, it's coupled with the stuff that he said about Iwakuma that cannot be defended on any right. level. I mean, like the idea that you're bitching about paying a translator $70,000. My, my first reaction was a translator comes that cheap? Like, really? Right. Like, that's all it costs for something that important, but also too, apparently, I mean, get one myself. Like, yeah, I mean, start I, I, going places, but like also too, apparently Rodriguez's English actually isn't really like a detriment or, I mean, if you want to put it like that or any type of hindrance. So what that means is either Mather is kind of flirting with a xenophobic type mindset with bringing this up, you know, seemingly unprompted twice or as the now former president and CEO of the Mariners, he know his prospect, who was, I believe, the ninth-rated prospect in baseball. Like neither of those explanations are good. I'm with you that, like, if you listen to it, it's you know he he didn't do a good job like portraying, I guess, what he wanted to, what I assume he wanted to, because um, you know if you listen to stuff. That's way you know I've listened to things that are like way worse than that. So when I was oh, yeah. like, I was like, this isn't that bad. You know, I, I legit thought that the Irakuma stuff is different. You know, you're going to bitch about $75,000, you know, I don't know, maybe some benefits, whatever, you know, like, I mean, that's part of it, man. Then don't sign, don't, don't have the guy come on board if you really don't want to do that. Right. Uh, uh, it's funny because uh, I mentioned, I mentioned Beltron in 14. I wrote a story. Um, Michael Pineda was a pitcher for the Yankees. And I don't know if you guys remember, he got caught with some tar in his, on the, the brim of his hat at Fenway Park. And he got, um, he got tossed, uh, you know, he got tossed for, for, for that. And then after the game, Fenway Park's clubhouse is like, it's shit, it's small in this room. And there's like 15 reporters. This is luxury here. So. <laughs> but uh, it is bad. a small clubhouse. That's true. Small in this luxurious, luxurious. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and no dishwasher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. There was no dish I, that Fenway, that Fenway clubhouse, it definitely did not have a dishwasher. But anyway, super small. 15 reporters gather around this guy. He doesn't have an interpreter. You know, he said he's cool with the Yankees asked him, I guess, if he was cool doing it in English. He stumbled through it, asked him tough questions. He was sweating. I remember the next day I went to Beltran. I was like, did you, because I, I, I came away from that thinking like, what the fuck? Like, why did he just, why did he have an interpreter? This was, they were grilling him. And I went up to Beltran the next day and I was like, do you hear, you know, and I'm like, do you hear what he said? And he didn't have an interpreter. And he like went off. He's like, it's bullshit. We don't have interpreters. Uh, these kids, these guys are coming up. Yeah, you can go up in the system and take some English lessons, but you're not ready to speak to the media, you know, represent your views and thoughts. Um, you know, I'm, shit, I'm afraid of going up to the fucking media and talking, you know, like these guys are, it's tough. Um, so I wrote a story about that and, you know, Beltran just went off. And I think it's the interpreter thing is like, these people just don't understand like how like hard it is to get up in front of people and talk. Like, it's not like small talking, you know, with your boy. It's like, you know, you got to articulate what you're trying to say in a way that's not lost in translation. You know, you, 
past tense, if you're dealing with tenses and words you don't quite know off the top of your head, it's like, Iwakuma needed an interpreter. Good, get him one. Right. Yeah. You, you know, it's it's funny actually when when we're talking about sort of what gets lost in these you know language barriers and stuff like that, and the need for interpreters, the need to be able to directly communicate. When Brian and I covered the Dodgers uh, between 2006 and 2008, is when uh, Rafael Fercal was on the team uh, as their shortstop, and Fercal's great guy. I mean, just terrific personality, like a really just warm, genuine guy, and you would always notice in the clubhouse that he would be really holding court with all the Spanish speaking players. Like they really all gravitated towards him. And you could see that he really one of the leaders for like that section of the clubhouse. And I say section because you know, this, these, these things can be very sectioned off and there's, there's an element of leadership, you know, for the team as a whole that can be lost when these players don't have the ability to completely communicate with each other. And, and it goes the reverse ways as well. Like, you know, the English speaking players being able to totally communicate with Spanish speaking or Japanese or Korean. I think sometimes it gets scrutinized more or, you know, the, you, you assume players well, not just, speaking English have less of a leadership role. Right, you wonder, a, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Or you. Do, do, right. Do the, the, for starters, I mean, that was, like I said, the, the sort of the assumption when, especially you know when we were growing up but like do is do you, does that cost them that i mean are are latino ball players just less able to be that clubhouse touchstone because that owner should swing both ways it should but, absolutely but it, because but often, of language right but it often doesn't i think where it's not seen as swinging both ways yeah i mean i've only been in so many clubhouses so it's hard to say but a guy mm -hmm. like a you know, Ronald Acuna Jr., he seems to be a, a guy that the guys get behind. And I think, and, and that this is where we're talking about interpreter. We're talking about Acuna can talk to it. He's been, a, you know, he's been in the system for, in the United States, he was 16, right? Or maybe not 16, maybe he's DR or whatever, but then he came over here. He's been here for, you know, several years. He can probably small talk with the guys, talk shit, gas them up, get them ready to go. But now it's different doing like something like this. You know, mm -hmm. it's just not the same. There, there are different levels. There's, it's nuanced, right? It's, just, it's all relative. Like the guy can talk to Freddie Freeman, you know, in the dugout and, you know, about baseball and hitting. And, hey, he threw me a curveball here. This is what's happening. But it's different getting grilled after a game or, you know, whatever. And, you know, I'm always like when I see somebody like a Dominican kid or a Venezuelan kid um, come and speak like good English like right away, like Juan Soto's English. It, it's super impressive. The kid learned English in like three years and was not afraid. He's a super confident kid. He just does interviews, and like it's a, it's amazing. And like you, it's yeah. really you, it's hard to not give too much. It's, you can't give too much credit to someone like that because it's really hard to do. Yeah, and basically everything about Juan Soto is just <laughs> absurdly <laughs> impressive. It's really impressive. Uh, you mentioned before I, there were a couple other things we want to get to back with the Dodgers and and sort of predictions and 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 insight there. But one more thing on this that I wanted to ask you because you mentioned it earlier. We had uh, your colleague Gustavo Ariano on a couple times uh, before you know before during the election. We've had him do a couple things with us. And he, he's the recently great. verified Gustavo That's Ariano right. on Twitter. Check mark. Oh. Um, he he told you know when we were talking about the election made a great point that is I think so often overlooked both in local politics, but certainly in national politics that treats the Latino voting bloc as one person, like one type of person. Um, and it assumes that it's the same in Florida as it is in Texas, as it is here, as it is in New York and all these other places. You, you kind of touched on that a little bit. Do we make that same assumption in baseball clubhouses that the yeah. you know the Venezuelan guy is the same as the guy from the Dominican is the same as the guy from Puerto Rico? Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, I, without generalizing, um, you know, the Puerto Rican guys come over tend to know more English than mm -hmm. the Dominicans and the Venezuelans. Um, some are fluent. Kike uh, Hernandez is pretty fluent in, in Spanish. He's from Puerto Rico. He's born and raised there, you know, went to high school. He speaks really good English. The other ones, my cousin, for example, who's a Cubs minor leaguer, who grew up in, for born and raised in Puerto Rico, is from a small little town in the middle of the, of the island, went to public school, doesn't, he didn't know a lick of English when he came over here and still is trying to learn, right? And then you got the Dominicans, you know, some are more educated, like Jose Bautista, who probably learned some English back in the day, and then others who just didn't go to school for too long, never really got good at English, where the Venezuelans tend to be, again, I'm generalizing here, 
They sure. go to high school more. They, you know, probably take English classes, maybe know a little more English, so they're maybe a little more ahead. But yeah, it's like it they're completely different. Man, it's like we're talking about England and Australia. Like maybe right. not England exactly. and Australia, yeah, like, but like it's like yeah. they're different countries. Like Do yeah. we yeah, it's so like is the is the assumption also too that be just because they ball player A and ball B both speak Spanish and come from a Spanish speaking country that they would automatically have that kind of bond person like, Oh, you guys must be friends. Well, I think it helps a lot. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. so the cultures is like, they're not like completely like different, you know, like Puerto Rican food and Dominican food is very similar and the music. They all like, they like bachata and merengue a little more, but we still like that. And we like salsa and they're like, reggaeton like we do and they do dembo and like, you know, the, there's a lot of there's a lot there. Same with Venezuelans, mm -hmm. Colombians, the Caribbean side. The Mexican side is a little different. I would argue, you know, being out here, it's different. Um, but it's still a lot of you know in common there too. And language is very, very important. And like the culture is like, you know, some similarities in the cultures. Um, but yeah, man, it's different. Like, you know, it's um uh, it's just different. Also, you just like you might just not like a guy because you just like you don't like a guy. Like I you might not like an American guy just because he's an asshole. Just because he's American doesn't mean he's gonna be your boy. Like, you know, it's you know, you just don't like people sometimes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what bonds them all together. Doesn't matter where you come from, what language you speak, you're at least going to dislike one guy on the team. Maybe more. Like, you know, there's going to be plenty yeah. of guys that you don't like and that that bonds them all together. It's just that it's just always Jeff Kent was particularly useful. Yeah, oh yeah, he bonded the entire club us. They all couldn't stand him. Like <laughs> I remember it was it was so funny. We we covered the team the year that Manny arrived. And, you know, the previous year before Manny was hands down the worst locker room we've ever been in in any sport. Like, it was open warfare that year um, between the older players and, and the young – at the time, the kids. It was like Russell Martin, James Loney, uh, Matt Kemp, that, that group. And Jeff Kent just – kind of ran that clubhouse through the power of a dark cloud of just tension that he purposely maintained basically so nobody would talk to him he just made the entire clubhouse uncomfortable manny's first day he walks in and he sets up this boom box which you know now isn't that uncommon in the clubhouse but back then that never happened not like you not in the dodgers clubhouse no it, back in the dodger clubhouse you would never hear music what do you have, like Napster or something? What was no, yeah, I mean, he had some type of, this I, was I, 2008. <laughs> I don't even know if that existed. <laughs> it was but, his Friendster account. But he he was blasting just, I don't know if it was salsa or merengue, or but just blasting it. And I happened to see off in his corner Jeff Kent at his locker, and you could just see the look on his face was like, well, my time's done. Well, th this is over because ain't nothing I can say to this guy because he's actually better than me. Like, yeah, nothing I can say. He's not only going to be more popular than me, he's better than me. He's got, you know, he's got a ring. I don't like all that. I like, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. And it was and hilarious. He came in. Did really well, right? So, oh, he was great. For, it, was, well, it worked for a while until he wanted, while. but then he wanted to have a baby, and it went, it was, it was hard after that. But you know, who can blame <laughs> him for wanting to start a family? Uh, Gustavo points out on the chat, it's it's interesting how uh, Caribbean Latino culture dominates uh, MLB while Mexican culture is a huge minority. Um, few parts of Latino culture are known to mainstream in the U.S. like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like. It, it it it's it, it's it's just a it's an aspect of this that I hadn't really thought about, and in in kind of looking at your work and and some of the things that came out this week, and then remembering that conversation with Gustavo that we had, it was something that you know was I thought was was um, was worth 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 talking about. Um, before we let you go, yep, the uh, 107 wins is what the projections are putting out. If you had to take an over under on that, 107 is a lot. Yeah. Would you go over or under? Uh, I'd go under. By how much? I don't know. Four or five. Hater. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like how many, you know, I think if this team has a big lead in division or big enough, like you rest guys down the stretch, you know, you don't go, you don't have to go on the gas pedal, you know, mm -hmm. push down how the gas pedal too much. 
how much of that is dependent on what uh, how well San Diego plays? Yeah, I think that does matter a lot. You know, it's they have a lot. You know, we're kind of, everyone's hyping up San Diego. They had uh, one good year and it was a sixty game season, and you know they had guys get hurt. Uh, Tatis fell off uh, last year towards the end. Um, like that's something that's not really talked about. So it's interesting to see if they can sort of keep up their end. Um, obviously, they got some um, reinforcements, reinforcements in the rotation and stuff. But um, yeah, it depends on how good they are and. Um, you want to win the division. You don't want to play, you know, dealing in kind of wild card situation. No, you, you want to win that division. Uh, last question I have for you before we let you go. Um, as someone who's covered the Dodgers, you know that until they finally broke through in 2020 and won the World Series, this question of when they were finally going to do it had been hanging over them for a while, and they'd been to World Series and lost. That you know they'd had some pretty high profile flameouts leading up to that point. How much do you think just having one one thing last season can liberate them as a team and as players, like in, like in a way that might actually set them up for future success beyond just the inherent talent of the team? I think, yeah, I think it helps. I'm playing Kershaw, uh, talked about it extensively when I went to go see him in January, uh, the relief, um, the burden to, that was lifted. I think him more so than probably any – well, not probably, definitely more than anybody else. Uh, but even the guy like Justin Turner, Kenley Jansen, you know, the guys have been around quite a bit. And yeah. um, it doesn't hurt. Like, they know what it takes to win. Um, and it doesn't hurt to have a guy like Mookie Betts. Uh, you know, that guy, They, for some reason, the Boston Red Sox decided it was best to trade him, and they traded him. And now Mookie Betts is the second-best player in baseball. And you know, he is, he is one of the most inherently likable athletes I've ever seen. Like my, my wife is a big Dodger fan, but she doesn't follow baseball at all. She just follows the Dodgers, and that's it. So she didn't really know who Mookie Betts was until this trade happened. I'm not, I'm not joking. Within like 30 seconds of seeing him not even play, but just like interviewed and his general aura, he's like her favorite player. And yeah, like she didn't know who he was. Yeah, he just like impacts the game in so many ways. I mean, you guys watched it like base running, defense, you know, at the plate, uh, clubhouse wise. The guys love him. He's like a leader. So that smile, man. Yeah. And yeah, and he's, you know, he was front and center a lot of things they did last year. The social justice stuff, he was front and center uh, kneeling before, the, you know, that first game. Um, he was kind of leading the boycott of that one game in San Francisco. He, yeah, he was, he had an eventful year last yeah. year. Oh God! And that team—they catch the ball so well. You know, just that—that that side of the outfield between Bellinger, just Bellinger and Betts, takes yeah. away so many, so many runs from the other team. We saw it obviously in the playoffs. Um, all right. Well, this. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Um, it is not uh, not everybody is willing to just meet somebody and and give them an hour. So we really yeah, we, appreciate thank it. Thank you, man. We appreciate it a lot. Um, we'd right, love no to problem. do it again as the season yeah. goes on. Uh, we love your work at the LA Times again. Just, uh, not you're not Gustavo, or I know you're not Dan Wakey <laughs> either. You're Jorge Castillo. We just threw we just threw one of Gustavo's comments up on the chat. Yeah. It was poorly. I, I like Will Ferrell. Just read whatever's in front of me. Now you go. Okay. Uh, Jorge Castillo covers the Dodgers for the LA Times. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that Thanks, was coming. I, 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 knew, I knew something like that was coming. <laughs> we appreciate it. I just assume every everybody I meet that has a uh, Latino sounding last name yeah. is Were Gustavo Ariano. Were you not Ariano. listening to this whole part about the clubhouse <laughs> and how everybody isn't the same just because they speak Spanish? Like, you were leading the com. You were asking the questions. I, you know, I, you know, I like Kevin Mather can put on a good face for things <laughs> for a little while. You can, you can fool some of the people for a while. You're, he lasted we, for like twenty years in that job. We are Brian's Rotary Club. He just he <laughs> seriously, his, man. Like the, the, he just tired saying stuff. Saying I don't even little... know what a Rotary Club is. Oh, now George is all like, "Come on, Brian, do better." Our friend from, from seven ten. These, these last couple minutes have been kind of eye opening and ugly. We really <laughs> if, should. If you really did it a live stream. Is there a way to? <laughs> oh yeah, I, no. I'm fine with keeping it live. I was no, okay. No, you good. I always <laughs> say end the show at eleven. Don't go past. <laughs> anyway, uh, can't we, we, we we really appreciate it, man. Thank you hey, very no much. Problem, it was great man. meeting you. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Dave Schilling 
We'll yes. talk some basketball, some fashion, some wrestling. It's going to be a good time, Dave Schilling. Uh, and then on Monday, we'll come back with who, Andy? Uh, on Monday, we've got Ali Khan. Ali Khan. We're going to talk food from the Food yes. Network. Yeah. Woo. All right. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Donkey Needle on. <laughs>